Hello, everybody. Welcome to another PR Masters podcast series brought to you by the Stevens Group. In case you don't already know who the Stevens Group is, we're one of the leading mergers and acquisition firms in the PR and digital interactive space. I'm Art Stevens, managing partner of the Stevens Group, and your host for today. The PR Masters podcast series features luminaries and legends in the world of public relations. Our guest today is Cheryl Battles, Vice President, Global Diversity, Inclusion, and Engagement at Pitney Bowes. In the interest of transparency, I must tell you that Cheryl and I have worked together in the past. In fact, my former public relations firm, Lopes and Stevens, had the honor of listing Pitney Bowes as one of its major clients for around 12 years. We worked closely with Cheryl and her colleagues at the time. But that is not the reason that Cheryl Battles is our guest today on PR Masters. She's our guest because of the esteem and respect in which she's held by both her company and her peers and colleagues in the public relations profession. And the contributions that she's made to the practice of corporate communications and the field of diversity. Cheryl combines her extensive communications expertise, her deep understanding of her company's strategy, and her passion for leveraging the intersection of diversity, inclusion, and engagement to help drive business results and individual results. Cheryl has a long reign at Pitney Bowes. She's held a range of responsibilities within corporate communications, media relations, internal publishing, and community relations strategic investments. Pitney Bowes has recognized Cheryl's exceptional contributions with several major awards of its own, including the Pitney Bowes One Standard Excellence Award for Outstanding Team Accomplishments. Cheryl has received many awards that are really just too numerous to mention. But I believe that the one she probably cherishes as much as any is the 2019 Mother of the Year, presented by Stanford Norwalk Chapter of Jack and Jill of America, and also her being listed as among the 100 most influential blacks in Connecticut. Cheryl Battles is a prolific speaker and writer. She's on the advisory board for the School of Communications at Elon University, and the Board of Trustees of the PRSA Foundation, chaired by my good friend, Joe Cohen. She's active in the Greater Stanford, Connecticut community, which is the corporate headquarters of Pitney Bowes. A quick word about Pitney Bowes, my proud client for some 12 years. It is recognized by Fortune magazine as among the top 50 best companies for minorities. It's a $3.2 billion company with some 14,000 worldwide employees. It's the world's leading provider of integrated mail and document management systems, services, and solutions. And it will be 100 years old in April 2020. So let me pause now and welcome my dear friend, Cheryl Battles, to this edition of PR Masters. And Cheryl, my very first question to you is, how do you find the time to do all this? Well, first of all, all right, thank you so much for um, the privilege of uh, having this conversation with you. Um, it is um, really, I've, I'm a fan of the, the series, 
and um, I'm I'm just honored to be um, um, a part of it. Certainly, um, one of my philosophies is that if you really want to get some insight into who someone is, take a look at how they spend uh, their time and their money. And certainly, when I think about uh, my life and everything that I do, I spend time um, with my family. Uh, and you're right, one of my proudest moments uh, was winning uh, Mother of the Year uh, because my, my family means a lot to me. Uh, but I spend time with my family. I spend time um, here at Pitney Bowes because I, I feel I have, like, the best job in the world, and I'm, I'm passionate about um, the opportunities that I have here uh, and about the, the company that I have the privilege of doing it for. Um, and I spend time in the community um, because I think it's so important um, to, to be involved and to try to make a difference. Well, that says it all, doesn't it? Now, you, as you indicated, your tenure with Pitney Bowes has covered a lot of years. So please tell our listeners how your responsibilities have changed since you started at Pitney Bowes. I've really had the opportunity to uh, grow uh, here at Pitney Bowes, both in terms of uh, both the uh, scope and the depth of uh, the work uh, that I've gotten to do uh, and had the um, really the the ability to get involved and lead virtually every aspect of uh, public relations or corporate communications here at the company. I started off as a speechwriter uh, for the CEO and throughout my tenure have been lead speechwriter for uh, three CEOs and then touched literally, um, as I think you alluded to in uh, your introduction, um, every other aspect of uh, being a professional communicator, uh, be it um, internal uh, editor and publisher, uh, media relations, uh, thought leadership, crisis management, uh, financial uh, or investor communications, executive communications, um, I've really had the opportunity uh, to to do it all in a um, series of positions here with the company of increasing responsibility. Well, of course, as we know, and as I indicated, the uh, Pitney Bowes is going to be celebrating its 100th anniversary. That's a long time. So tell us how the company itself has evolved over the years. It's obviously a, a great deal more than just postage meters these days. You're absolutely correct. Um, our current CEO is Mark Lautenbach, and um, he likes to talk about the fact that we're really building a foundation to give Pitney Bowes the opportunity for long-term success. And so we are focused on uh, growing markets where we have um, the right to win, um, successful innovation, doing right by our employees, um, good governance, and being good corporate citizens. Pitney Bowes was really born through innovation uh, almost 100 years ago, 
and we've created value for our clients by applying technology to really enhance the access and remove the complexity of getting commerce transactions right. And that spirit of innovation really lives on today. So we talk about ourselves as being a global technology company that provides solutions in the areas of e-commerce, shipping, mailing, finance, and data. We've got clients around the world, including 90% of the Fortune 500, um, and they are using our uh, solutions, analytics, and APIs. So in this season, um, for example, we support retailers and other shippers in the areas of fulfillment, delivery, returns, and cross-border. So we've got fulfillment services with a nationwide network and automated facilities uh, and seamless integrated delivery and returns. We have standard delivery of parcels through an extensive U.S. domestic network leveraging the United States Postal Service for the final mile delivery. We do cross-border delivery to 207 countries and territories with bundled quoting and compliance services, and then we have standard domestic returns services that allow retailers to offer free at-home pickup, convenient drop-off options, and fast returns. That's just what we're doing to help retailers and other shippers. For office mailing and shipping, some of our latest innovation, uh, we just, for instance, announced a collaboration with Samsung uh, to simplify business shipping with our SendPro tablet. Our SendPro portfolio is a cloud-based multi-carrier shipping, mailing, uh, and tracking, um, and we just integrated it into the Samsung um, tablet, Galaxy Tab A tablet. So it lets um, clients have access to uh, multi-carrier um, shipping options for everything they send. It gives them access to exclusive discounts um, and uh, helps them with full shipping tracking and spending history across all the carriers they live, uh, that they use. Um, we also just announced an intelligent locker partnership with Luxor One, and that features our Send Suite tracking online that adds this extra layer of security and visibility to their intelligent locker. Um, it's another cloud-based solution that streamlines the logging, tracking, and managing of incoming packages and important mail, sends notification, parcel location details, and secure digital passcodes. We also have a pre-sort services, uh, a sortation service to qualify large volumes of first-class mail, marketing mail, and bound and packet mail for postal workshare discounts. I went through that list to say you are absolutely right. We are um, in the heart in many ways of uh, commerce um, and making it easy uh, for the world to complete commerce transactions with accuracy and precision in a number of areas. Well, it's clear that Pitney Bowes has kept kept right along with the with the all the advances that have been made in the world of technology over the past 10 to 20 years. Um, 
that's amazing because uh, obviously uh, I had the opportunity to work with you uh, and my firm did some years ago when all of these capabilities were not even in the picture at the time. So true. That's amazing. So my next question is, given all that it has done in 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 terms of technology and service to its customers and clients, um, why did Pitney Bowes become interested in global diversity? Certainly, diversity and inclusion have been foundational to who Pitney Bowes is. And, you know, I know a lot of companies say that, and I've actually had the privilege of being here and watch this company live it. So literally, um, since the, the 1930s, Pitney Bowes, uh, and, and I would say even earlier, probably from the beginning, but certainly from the 1930s, uh, we um, have seen through the history of some things that the company has done. Um, the company was very focused on keeping the human at the center of what it did. So the employee was considered um, our most valuable attribute. Because we knew that if we had uh, employees that were treated with um, dignity and respect and given the opportunity to grow and learn, that they in turn would help us um, deliver value to all of our stakeholders, to our clients, to our shareholders, and to communities, and to one another. So the company has always been very focused on the human aspect. Um, and even in the 1930s, the company um, had some pretty advanced um, practices and approaches um, that you've seen throughout time, including things like a um, job holder meeting. Uh, believing that employees had as much right to know and understand what was happening in the company and to question uh, management as shareholders did. So just like we had a shareholder meeting, we actually started having annual job holder meetings. Those meetings today, um, you know, companies around the world have town hall meetings and other meetings for employees to interact um, with each other and with uh, their leadership teams. But back in uh, when we started, that, that was virtually unheard of. Um, we, you know, formed our federal credit union um, in the late 30s and to really help Pitney Bowes and their families with financial needs. Uh, we had a, a profit sharing. So we had all of these things that we started like in the 1930s about keeping the employee um, at the center. When our uh, CEO, uh, Walter Wheeler, in that period of time, was tapped by the then President of the United States to be on the War Production Board as uh, the U.S. got into um, World War II, uh, one of the things that he saw from that war production board was the fact that as the men primarily went off to war, 
uh, in what had previously been um, segregated uh, opportunities to serve, uh, there were um, stories and examples of uh, African-American soldiers fighting alongside other soldiers on behalf of the U.S. with great valor, uh, great courage, uh, and really making a difference um, in the U.S.'s contribution in that effort. He also saw that back here in America, as the men went off to war and in order to keep production facilities going, suddenly uh, corporations were uh, tapping into um, African Americans, women, the disabled, uh, segments of the U.S. population that heretofore had not necessarily had the opportunity to have some jobs in these production facilities in that manner. And what he saw was that collectively, including more of the available population in a concerted effort towards a common goal, was yielding the same amount of productivity, if not higher. Um, a loyalty and a commitment to doing the job right, um, a work ethic that was admirable. And he said, you know what? I want to continue to have this. If bringing in a broader array of people into our organization means enhanced productivity, enhanced commitment, enhanced engagement, to getting things done well, then that's what I want more of. So he literally came back to Stanford in the early 1940s and um, wrote a memo to the Human Resources Department and said he wanted to make sure that we did not have any uh, systemic barriers that would preclude us from hiring a qualified individual, irrespective of their race, of their religion, or of their gender. And then he followed up, not only stating that, but throughout the 1940s, we, and he was a prolific writer, we have a series of his writings about uh, wanting to make sure that our workforce reflected the composition of the neighborhoods in which we were located. And the neighborhood in Stanford, Connecticut, where our manufacturing facility and our office were located at the time, uh, was primarily African-American and European immigrant. Uh, so he, throughout the 40s, if you will, um, took on this series of actions, not just to talk about wanting to make sure that we were the kind of place where all people could would have an opportunity to come and thrive and help us win in our markets. He actually role modeled that in his own behavior as well, resigning for, from clubs that he felt were anti-Semitic. He even pulled a um, sales 
uh, rewards um, meeting from a hotel that wouldn't let our African-American salesperson uh, stay there overnight. Um, he just embodied that this is what it looks like to really be committed to making sure that we have access to the best talent to help us win. That spirit has gone resonated throughout time here at Pitney Bowes. And I'm proud to note that as you look at our history and then as the, the personal history that I've lived through here, every CEO subsequent to uh, Walter Wheeler uh, have in their own way uh, embraced this concept of making Pitney Bowes the kind of place uh, where we could include the talents and the skills and the voices of all people to do a better job of serving all of our stakeholders. And that has gone all the way through to our current CEO, Mark Baltenbach, who is very active. He's on the Catalyst Board, um, where he's a big advocate for having uh, more women on uh, boards. And as a matter of fact, our own board of directors here at Pitney Bowes is 45% female. We're proud to note. Oh, wow. Uh, Wonderful. Our, Wonderful. In our workforce, uh, women are 42% of our total workforce, and people of color are 47% of our total workforce. Wow. So for Pitney Bowes, diversity and inclusion is not a fad. It is not something we were mandated to do by law. It is fundamental to who we are and how we operate. That is wonderful. Gosh, that is so that is that is that is so. Uh, how shall I put it, uh, Cheryl? This is uh, the the kind of company that I think everybody would want to work for. I guess is one way of putting it. Um, its commitment to global diversity. Are you its very first global diversity officer, or, or did you succeed other people? I am certainly. It, uh, it's in, it's an interesting question. There have definitely, we have definitely had um, leaders of diversity before. And certainly I always talk about uh, our chief human resources officer, uh, Jonna Torson, is widely respected uh, in terms of human capital management in general. And Jonna has been uh, a key champion in uh, really shaping our uh, diversity and inclusion and our approach, um, you know, over the last few decades. Uh, and I'm very proud to um, kind of work along with Jonna in that capacity. And we were just talking the other day, and I was uh, just so honored when she said to me that, you know, I really brought kind of a different approach um, to thinking about uh, diversity and how we continue to move it forward here at Pitney Bowes. I talk about diversity being the reality uh, of the markets that we serve, of our clients, of the decision makers, of the communities in which we operate. Uh, and so I think the question 
all companies have to ask themselves is can you really afford to um, operate um, in a diverse environment without having um, that diversity of, of thought and perspective and experience uh, and of people reflected in your organization? And as I said, for uh, Pitney Bowes, we ask ourselves that question in the 1930s, and then we work hard every day to live into what does that mean in the 21st century. So, Cheryl, in terms of your taking on this role uh, in, a, in a more, I guess, a, f a more formal way in terms of your title, what do you feel are uh, the, the your your most your your most challenging tasks in terms of your specific role, and what accomplishments do you feel have taken place as a result? Well, I think in general, um, diversity, it's important to remember that diversity is a journey and not a destination. So just like innovation, you know, you don't, one day you you have innovation, and then you're done. No, you continue to work to innovate. You continue to work to make sure that that innovation is relevant, to make sure that you can efficiently deliver it, to look for that innovation in other ways and in other places. Well, diversity and inclusion is the same kind of thing relative to being a business imperative. So the... Um, the challenge and the opportunity is to continue to stay focused, stay focused on uh, being intentionally inclusive, stay focused on making it the kind of environment. Uh, and I talk about inclusion is, is a human requirement. <laughs> um, it, all people want to be included. All people want to feel like they belong that they are valued, that their voice will be heard, that they will have an opportunity to do uh, meaningful work and have an opportunity to, to grow and contribute to the company's success. That is a universal desire. So our goal is to make sure that we are continuing to create opportunities and space for that to be the experience of all employees so that you can come to Pitney Bowes and get the opportunity to do things that matter and to make a difference and to continue to grow and be who you are. That's been my story here at Pitney Bowes, and we want to make that the story of every employee at Pitney Bowes. So it always starts with what's your strategic intent? How does this align with your business strategy? Um, we were talking um, earlier, Art, you and I, just right before we started here, uh, about some uh, industry activities. And, you know, one of the things that I'm doing tomorrow, just talking to an internal group, um, is, you know, talking about 
how to keep their eye on the ball and how to make sure that they are focused on making this the kind of environment um, that all of our people feel like they are a part of and that they belong to and that they will have the opportunities to learn and grow uh, and be the best that they can. Because if we allow people to be their best, then we know they will give their best on behalf of the co uh, the company and its own success. So when I think about, you know, the things that I've done here at Pitney Bowes, and, and I want to be clear, you know, diversity communications, just because diversity has been so fundamental to Pitney Bowes' journey these 99 years, um, diversity of communications has always been something that I've touched in one way or another, whether it was speech writing for CEOs or executive communications or internal communications or media relations. Over time, I have always been involved for a long time in diversity communications per se. I just picked up responsibility, however, for diversity, global diversity and inclusion um, strategy uh, about uh, three, three and a half years ago and picked up responsibility for employee engagement about a year ago. So now I have this wonderful combination of having gone from telling our great story about diversity and inclusion to actually being responsible for the um, the strategy and operationalizing that strategy on a global basis. Wow, wow. So, I mean, clearly Penny Bowes is, is a role model in terms of uh, the corporate uh, priority in, in the area of uh, diversity. Um, you've, if other corporations have not uh, done as good a job as yet, you know, in the in the whole uh, category of uh, diversity, um, why do you think that is the case? And what recommendations would you pass on to other corporations that are, let's say, that hopefully would try to catch up to where Pitney Bowes is? Well, as I said, you know, diversity is a journey. And so, you know, while we've been at this, you know, we're proud to note we've been at this for a long time, um, we're not perfect. No, no, no company is, right? So we all have to continue to, to learn and grow and stay focused in order to continue to, to move forward. Um, when I talk to companies about uh, diversity and inclusion, and, and I've had the privilege of um, talking to a variety of organizations, not just businesses. Uh, you know, I've talked to at school districts on the at the request of principals. I've talked to uh, in healthcare systems. Um, I've talked in educational or academic settings. Um, you know, because this is you know this is about people, right? And it, no matter what business you're in. There's a human on either side of the transaction, and um, diversity and inclusion is really just about how do you um, create an environment in which you can um, support and motivate 
um, the best possible outcome for both the employee and the organization, the, the individual and the organization. And so I, I always talk about, number one, um, it, it really is critical that you've got support at the top. That's why I talked about the role of, you know, Pitney Bowes CEOs over time in not just, uh, you know, verbally advocating uh, for uh, diversity and intentional inclusion, but actually role modeling it, right? Um, So that support, that visible support at the top is critical because employees will pick up on that, on whether or not this is just a slogan or this is really the way that the company intends to do business. Um, So that, uh, that support at the top is number one. Second thing I mentioned is the alignment with your business strategy. If this is not aligned with your business strategy, it will not be it won't be sustainable. So you will find that the focus on it will wane. Um, the focus, the investment, uh, the time around it, uh, even the um, the discussion or the conversation around it will wane if it's not tied to business strategy. That's what makes it sustainable. Um, so this, uh, and that's what makes it for us a business imperative and something that we hope is a competitive differentiator um, as opposed to a compliance activity uh, or a fad, right, or something that's just nice to do. So that uh, support from the top, the alignment with uh, business strategy, um, and and really, uh, you know, data is your friend. So I spend a lot of time with data analytics you know, looking at the data about our employees' experiences throughout their life cycle. And what is that data telling me? Because, again, what I want, what our goal is, is for every employee at all stages of that life cycle to have um, a an, an equal experience and opportunity and access. And whenever the data is showing us um, where that's not the case, then that's how you know where you need to put some focus or where you need to make sure um, to find out what's happening in those processes or practices and and figure out what to do. Uh, And that would be kind of my my final thing, if you will, that – you know, there's lots of literature out now about diversity and inclusion. Um, it, you know, it has become a very popular topic within the last couple of years. And so a lot of people want to kind of, uh, your the first inclination may be to just go out and just see, oh, here's five best practices and start to try to implement all of those in your particular environment. And this is really about what's going to work and what is your culture need? What is your specific need? What, What problem are you trying to solve or what opportunity are you trying to take advantage of? And that's where you start with your diversity and inclusion program. 
So I know your time is limited, Cheryl, and I appreciate uh, your taking time out of your very busy schedule. I'm going to ask you just a couple more questions, if you'll bear with me. One has to do with our chosen profession, public relations. Um, you are on the board of the PRSA Foundation. I suspect you know, that a lot of what you are focusing on is probably the subject of diversity and obviously whatever other challenges face the PRSA Foundation. Um, as a past president of PRSA New York, um, you know, I've been involved, obviously, in many discussions and also the uh, implementation of a number of programs that have to do with diversity, particularly programs aimed at uh, regional colleges and universities. Uh, so my question to you is, what do you think the PR profession can do a better job of, and uh, how can we get more uh, people who are diverse you know, into the public relations profession? That is the goal of so many of our leaders, um, and I just wanted to get your take on that. Um, that's, that's really a great question, Art. Um, you know, when you think about public relations uh, or communications, whichever you want to call it, um, it is, to me, um, I, I love the profession because it really does give you um, the opportunity to play a role in helping an organization connect with its key stakeholders and connect through um, the conversations that you have uh, on behalf of that organization uh, to um, help in uh, manage and working in collaboration with the multiple stakeholders that an organization has as well as to uh, inform and inspire and motivate uh, employees. Uh, so as communicators, we play such a, a, a vital role in really um, giving voice uh, and guiding um, strategic behaviors and actions uh, within uh, an organization and external to an organization. So given all that, given that critical role that we as communicators play, I think it is particularly important that we as an industry, uh, going back to the comment I made earlier about organizations, that we as an industry reflect the realities of the markets in which we are trying to communicate. I mean, the number one of the more fundamental aspects of effective communication is knowing and understanding your audience. And in thinking about uh, your messages and making sure um, that you are speaking or acting or connecting in a manner that that audience um, can relate to, can understand, can relate to, Etc. And so, given the fact that our organizations, whether you are a, a corporation, whether you're an academic institution, whether you are a government, um, you know, or whether you are an agency and you are um, operating on behalf of clients, none of our clients, none of our organizations operate in a vacuum. They are in the middle of what I call the most diverse global marketplace in the history of commerce. And so 
we as an industry and we as communicators must reflect that diversity that of 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 our clients and of the world in which our clients and companies are operating in. So when I think about the industry, um it's really critical um and there's a you know there's a um initiative that uh I'm involved in and and very excited about it's called the Diversity Action Alliance and it's leaders from the nation's top PR communications organizations uniting to uh really get at that question you ask art in terms of what should we as communicators be thinking about and how can we um get more diversity uh into uh the industry and this uh initiative the diversity action alliance um is coming this is a uh, it you know it, we're in the final stages of um pulling it uh together if you will but organizations such as uh IPR the PR council Page Society, PRSA and the PRSA Foundation, the Planck Center, uh, LeGrant, ColorComs, the Black PR Society, the Hispanic PR Association are coming together to say um, that by coming together, we think we can be um, a force multiplier in bringing uh, visibility, in taking actions in things like hiring, retention, and inclusion at all levels within the industry, and in sharing uh, and spreading best practices. But this is a commitment to sustained action, to build more diversity at all levels, and to create inclusive cultures in which all talent can thrive within the industry. That is wonderful news, Cheryl. That is so wonderful. I, I think that this will this will cause a, a wave of, of of positive and uh, joyful reactions once uh, this has become public and once it's clear uh, that the goals are so vital to a, as you put it, a diversified world of uh, of commerce. So uh, my final question to you then, Cheryl, is where do you see Cheryl Battles in the years ahead? <laughs> I just see myself continuing to um to learn to listen and understand uh to innovate and to thrive. That's where I see myself. Well, those are lofty goals and given what you've accomplished so far, there's no question in my mind that you will accomplish anything you set out to do. So, Cheryl Battles you have inspired us today. This discussion about diversity on a worldwide basis, as well as within your own corporation, as well as the public relations profession, is enlightening and very encouraging. So on behalf of our listeners, I really thank you so much for joining us today and resurrecting an old friendship with me, uh, as well as sharing your views with us. So thank you very much, Cheryl. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much, Art. It's been a real pleasure uh, and um, especially to uh, get a chance to reconnect with you. Oh, <laughs> uh, I love you. <laughs> <laughs>
And, and thank you all for tuning in to another of the Stevens Group PR Masters podcast series. Until next time, I'm Art Stevens, wishing you all the very best. So, Cheryl, what tips would you give to communicators and public relations professionals to try to encourage diversity in both agencies, corporations, and the public relations profession as a whole? That's a that's a great question, Art. You know, certainly, uh, I always start with we want people uh, as professional communicators to think about what they can control. We we understand that you know if you are in a corporate com- communications department in a uh, large organization, you don't control that company's approach to diversity and inclusion, but what you do control um, is how your department is structured or how you as a communications team uh, talk about and think about diversity and inclusion. So I always start by saying to communicators, let's start with what you can control. Um, And the next thing I would say is understand the reality of diversity for your businesses. Again, as you think about the audiences that you are um, um, tasked with communicating to or about, what's going on with those audiences? What about your client base? What about your investor base? You know, investors are um, very interested uh, in uh, both the human capital aspects what what we're talking calling the non-financial aspects that point towards um, value creation from a company. I'm sorry, I slowed down. Can I start over? And I I don't want to take up too much of your time, but that that's a that's another uh, important uh, tangent art about how companies. Uh, are looking at um, how we treat employees in general as really one of the attributes of long-term value creation. So instead of just looking at numbers, investors are starting to look beyond the numbers at who are the humans running the business, not, not just at the top, but your workforce as a whole. And that has some interesting implications.